pride and power. It is the answer to the question of my first perceptions of England. Pride and power of this country. And by pride, I don't mean some arrogant feeling. I mean an outward positive feeling that goes beyond myself, beyond my life. And I'm proud to share at least moments of your history. It's incredible history, as I told you. You know, in the States, everything older than 100 years is antiquity. Here, it's something different. And we made a tour around central London, and it was amazing. And the tour was led by a lady named Juliet Herbert. She got superpowers. Two days, 30 miles. And believe me, no signs of slowing down for her. She's a little bit older than me. I'm 54, and I'm a devoted runner. I try to run, to run three, five times a week at least. And believe me, I was following her. I was already dead by the end of two days, but she was not. She was pretty much, you know, alive. She got superpowers, and she got a great deal of pride in her inheritance, in her history. She's from a long line of preachers and soldiers. Her grandfather was a commanding officer during the World War One, And he was a participant in the great battle of Somme. Eighty percent of his regiment actually was killed in the first day of this battle. And he endured all his life. He committed his life to service to his king and country for many, many years. And it's a reason to be proud of power of this man. Pride and power. And uh, we were walking around, you know, those structures like the tower, the British Museum, Westminster Abbey, you name it. Especially, the special place for me was the St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It's an amazing structure. And probably the, mo the most amazing fact about it, that the Christian service takes place there since 605 A.D. Amazing. Amazing. It's a place of Christian pride and power indeed. Today we jump from St. Paul's Cathedral in London to St. Paul's Letter to Rome. And the text for tonight's talk, tonight's talk is Romans 1.16. Let's read it together, NAV translation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings to salvation everyone who believes. First the Jew, then to the Gentile. Amazing text. And many scholars, many believers think that it's part of the thematic statement for the whole letter to Rome. But grammatically speaking, this verse actually develops the previous verse, verses 14 and 15. And in verses 14 and 15, Paul gives his mission statement, his purpose statement, his purpose 
uh, in ministry is very clear. He's eager to preach the gospel to the whole world. I am eager to preach the gospel both to the Greeks and to non-Greeks, says Paul. In Greek, literally, non-Greeks sounds like barbarians. So he's willing to preach the gospel to Greeks, people who live in great civilization, and barbarians outside of this civilization. And he wants to go to a one particular place. Today we call this place Spain. Spain was a part of unknown world. It was a part of barbarian world that time. And the whole purpose of Paul's letter to Rome was to engage this church in Rome in his mission to Spain. The whole letter is invitation to ministry partnership. And Paul is eager to preach. Paul is eager to invite people to preach the gospel around the world. And he has two reasons for his eagerness, for his willingness. And verse 16 gives us those two reasons. First reason is in first part of the verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul uses a figure of speech and probably a little illustration will help you to understand this figure of speech. Uh, when I say I'm not a bad bloke, actually it means I'm a jolly good chap. <laughs> this is the figure of speech that Paul uses in his words. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Actually, it means I'm proud of the gospel. And Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message, gives these words. It's news I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. Starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else. It's news I'm most proud of. And a quick question. Can a Christian experience pride? Can a Christian be proud? Sure. Paul teaches us to be proud. But this pride is not centered on ourselves, on our sinfulness. This pride is centered, it's on something else, something that beyond ourselves. It's a positive attitude toward God's word. It's positive attitude toward the gospel. Paul exclaims that he is proud. He is a part of proclamation of God's word. It's a sense of achievement. It's a sense of belonging. And uh, Paul and his audience lived in the so-called honor and shame culture. The Mediterranean world still lives by these norms. Uh, actually, it means that the public society defines, defines somebody's worth on account of society's norms, values, beliefs. And if you don't share those values and beliefs, you are a person of shame. You are a person of honor if you share 
public beliefs, public values, public morals. And the gospel Paul preaches sometimes confirms the culture, but very often confronts the culture. And it confronted the culture in Paul's day. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that for some, for let's say Jews, the gospel is what? It's offense. Greek word scandal. Scandal. The gospel for Jews was scandal and offense. Stumbling block for Greeks, for civilized people, it was foolishness. The gospel in Paul's days was regarded by social norms as foolishness and offense. And Paul, Paul exclaims that he is not ashamed of it because culture cannot define our value. God and His Word define our value. So, Paul teaches us to be proud of the gospel. And as a social thing, proclamation of the gospel actually goes all the times under the public pressure. And be proud of the gospel means to be able to take pain for the gospel's sake. If society rejects you, if society places you in the place of dishonor, it's very hard to proclaim the gospel. And uh, Paul instructs his young ministry partner, Timothy, with the words like that. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Second Timothy 1, 8. Paul puts together those ideas as pride, power, and public pressure. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. And we cannot get you know, a lot of pain without being prideful in the gospel. We cannot endure for gospel's sake if we are not experiencing this utmost respect for the word of God, for the gospel of God. Then, in the second part of this verse, 16b, Paul makes a shift from pride to power. He is eager to preach the gospel because he is proud. But his pride is not rooted in himself, in his own powers. His pride is rooted in something else that goes beyond him. His pride is rooted in God's power. The gospel is God's power. And... Paul says, the gospel is the power of God. For everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul raises our awareness in God's attribute. If pride deals with our attitude 
the power deals with God's attribute. And God's power is amazing. And if you ask me to define God's power in the letter to Romans, I would give you a short answer. God's power, Greek dynamis, means supernatural effectiveness in God's dealings with humanity, especially in salvation. It's supernatural. It's effective. It's something amazing. And Paul recognized it. He experienced God's power in his life and ministry at full sense of this, of this award. And moreover, I would say that Paul gives a picture of God's power in action in the letter to Romans. First of all, he speaks of God's power in creation. And he says that his divine power and invisible qualities are evident to everybody who looks at God's creation. Then Paul says about God's power in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross and the resurrection constitute one thing, the Christ event. And on the cross, Christ, Jesus Christ, dies for us. But how do we know that Jesus, who died on the cross, is the Messiah of Israel? Through the resurrection, through the power of resurrection. The resurrection is the God's Evidence that Jesus is his appointed Messiah, appointed Savior. The power of resurrection is everything in the gospel. Cross and the resurrection. But for Paul, it's not enough. He is talking about power of God in spiritual transformation of everyone who believes. Regardless, Jews or Gentiles, Greeks or barbarians, God's power transforms all the people, people who believe in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's power is revealed in creation. God's power revealed in resurrection. God's power revealed in the powerful spiritual transformation Everyone who believes. Romans 8. We see two reasons of Paul's eagerness to proclaim the gospel. Behind his intention to proclaim the gospel around the world, especially in Spain, lies two perceptions. Pride and power. Pride is our Attitude toward God's word. And it means utmost respect. Our honor is found in our respect for God's word. Our commitment to God's work. And the power of the gospel, it's not ours. It's supernatural power that transforms people's lives. That brings us to salvation. If you ask me, what are differences between UK and Kazakhstan in spiritual sense? Let's talk about pride and power 
in our ministry in UK and Kazakhstan. On the first glance, UK and Kazakhstan has little in common. You know, Christianity in UK has a long history, but now probably the most observers would say that UK lives in post-Christian era. Kazakhstan lives in pre-Christian era. <laughs> but result is the same. <laughs> result is the same. Uh, as for UK, probably you read these articles like Christianity is dying, and the statistics says so. The Guardian from March 2018 reports about a survey. Uh, Attitudes, religious attitudes of youth in Europe. And they include UK youth. And what would you think about religious attitudes of youth? Uh, they call the youth probably people between 16 and 29. So how people of this group from 16 to 29, you know, relate to Christianity? Uh, basically speaking, 70% of young Brits have no religious affiliations. 70%. 60% of youth never attend to church services, any religious services. It gives reasons to claim that Christianity, any religion in United Kingdom is declining, is dying. If it's so, we can discuss it later. But the same tendencies you can find even in Kazakhstan. What we have as opposition here in UK, radical secularism and radical Islam. The same forces are in play in Kazakhstan. We face radical Islam and face radical atheism in our country as well. Uh, the most influential breed right now in UK, you can argue with me, and Kazakhstan, is Richard Dawkins, a man from Oxford. He wrote a library of books against Christianity. And all of them are translated into Russian. He is the most readable author right now in Russian-speaking world. And his challenge to Christianity is coming to you and us as well. So is Christianity dying here in UK? Some people think yes, some people no. And uh, it might explain my points, pride and power. Uh, churches that are ashamed of the gospel, are dying out. Churches that are proud of the gospel are increasing in numbers. Uh, I can give you some short numbers. Uh, Non-evangelical churches in UK decreasing, uh, are decreasing in numbers 15%. Evangelical churches, uh, gospel-preaching communities like and new frontiers and the fellowship of independent evangelical churches increased 15%. So what we are talking about? We are talking about 
a decline of nominal Christianity or we are talking about decline of the gospel. The gospel is not dying out in UK. It's not dying out in Kazakhstan. I heard a lot of discussions. Should we call ourselves evangelicals? Or should we call ourselves Baptists? You know, it's my story, literally. Uh, I became a Christian in 30, when I was 30, back October 1994. Uh, I was a gambler, I was an addict, and my mom was very happy. She lived a thousand miles away from Almaty when I lived there at the time. And when I wrote to her that I became a Christian, she was extremely happy. We are Russians, and she thought I became sort of an Orthodox priest. So I, I wrote to her, I enrolled at seminary and uh, something like that. When I came home in six months, you know, she was happy to see me, you know, safe and sound. Then I was unpacking my, you know, suitcase. She was waiting for a while, a while, a while. Then she would ask, where is your rope? I told her, what rope? You know, your monk's rope or priest's rope. I told her, I'm a Baptist. And uh, my mom cried for 40 minutes or even 60 minutes like crazy. Because for many Russians grew up as Orthodox Christians, the word Baptist means something bad. It was a shame for her to have a son Baptist. But time went on. My mom attended a Baptist church, no problem. So it's a, when I listened to those discussions, for example, a couple months ago in UK broadcast the son of Francis Schaeffer, the famous evangelist, actually was arguing against using this term evangelical for Christians. I felt ashamed for him, for his dad gave his life to proclaim the gospel. And nothing wrong in the word evangelical or gospel preaching Christian. We shouldn't be ashamed of this word. We shouldn't be ashamed about the gospel. So, those who are ashamed are going away. Those who are not ashamed, who are proud of the gospel, have the power of God, transforming power of God, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And many generations are de devoting their lives to this. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage every, every one of us. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Have a positive attitude to the gospel. While you are preaching even under social pressure, under public pressure. And trust in God's miraculous provision while you are proclaiming the gospel. My last words would be, not mine, but Paul's. I want to read his benediction from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. Thank you.